We are continuing and we're getting close to the end of a series through John chapter 13 all the way to John chapter 17. And if you've been with us, you know that we have talked about various subjects that were on Jesus' heart that he wanted to communicate to his disciples about his relationship with God. And if you recall, several weeks ago as I began in John chapter 13, I told you the story of a mentor of mine in college that I approached and asked, hey, how, John, how do I build my relationship with God? And he reminded me that um, Jesus was the answer. And he said, why don't you just study the gospel of John? In every place Jesus interacts with God, you'll learn something about a relationship with God. So just follow Jesus' example through John. And so we took that to heart in our series, John 13, all the way to John 17. And so we're learning about how Jesus relates to God. And he's, just, he's, he's in an intimate relationship with his disciples, teaching us, giving us window, window opportunities, little windows into viewing our relationship with God. So we're going to continue that. And in John chapter 16 this morning, you'll see that uh, prayer is the subject. And as you notice in John chapter 16, in verse 16, Jesus says, in a little while, you will no longer see me. And again, a little while, you will see me. And so there's this kind of this mystery behind what Jesus is saying. He says, in a little while, you won't see me, but then in a little while, you'll see me again. And the disciples had this confusion in their mind. What in the world is Jesus talking about? What does it mean that in a little while, we won't see you anymore? And then in a little while longer, we'll see you again. What is he referring to? So they have this long dialogue and discussion all the way through John 16, all the way up to verse 23 about the fact that Jesus is going to go. His time will, is coming near, that he will leave and he will depart, leaving his disciples alone. And it's clear that the disciples are concerned about that. And every time that he mentions the fact that he's going to leave them, they're very concerned. And so Jesus talks about the fact that, yes, in a little while I will be gone. And it says there in verse 20, Truly I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve. But then it says, your grief will be turned into joy. And what he's saying is that one day when I return again, I will bring joy back to your lives. That when I leave, yes, there will be weeping. Yes, there will be lamenting. Yes, it will be difficult, but I'm coming back. And then he gives an example of a woman in childbirth and says, whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy of the child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too will have grief now, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you you. So Jesus says there's this time period between the time that I go and ascend to be with the Father and you will have grief. But I will come back and when I come back you're going to have joy. And it's the in-between time that Jesus is now focusing in on. And then he says these words in verse 23. In that day you will not question me about anything. Truly I say to you if you ask the Father, for anything in my name, he will give it to you. What Jesus says is very clear. The time between his leaving us 
And the time of his coming, his return, he's asking and calling us to do one thing, pray. It's about prayer. Jesus says, the time between my departure and my return, I want you to pray. And I believe Jesus is saying this to the church today. What we need to be doing is praying, asking the Father. The time is now. Jesus is alerting his disciples, this is the time to pray. And then he goes on to say, until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. In other words, when I was with you, you didn't need anything. I did it all. I was with you. All the miracles, all the ministry, everything you saw came from me. You didn't need to ask the Father for anything. But the moment I leave, you will need to start asking because I won't be with you. You will need to rely upon prayer to see God continue the work of ministry through your lives. And then I will return and you will have joy. That's the passage. That's what Jesus is telling his disciples. Now, there's a little bit of discussion at the end about this, about the fact that they finally get it, that they understand he's talking plainly and He's calling on them to pray in the in-between time. And then he says, and he ends with these words in verse 33, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. But here's the question. Jesus never identifies what it is that we're to pray about or even how to pray in this passage. All he does is simply says, We need to be praying. We need to be asking the Father. And whatever we ask the Father, he will give it to you. So Jesus affirms the value of prayer, but doesn't give us a lot of description unless, of course, what Jesus is saying is everything that I've been speaking to you about is what you need to be praying about. And so what I want to do this morning is talk a little bit about prayer From the perspective of Jesus, not simply from this passage, but from the life of Jesus. And then I want to talk about the things that Jesus would want us to be praying about. As we look at John chapter 13, John 14, John 15, John 16, and John 17 as clues to the kinds of things that Jesus would want us to be praying about now. Does that make sense? I mean, he calls on us to pray. I think the value has been established. We need to be praying. It's an important commitment to our relationship with God. And yet what I find oftentimes, I was reading one little book that said that so few of us have spent that time in prayer. I was in an Alpha conference, which is um, a, a leadership conference in London. Denise and I flew to London. A friend, some friends of ours send us every year. They said, we want you to go. So here's some plane tickets. We want you to go to this conference and learn more about Alpha and and there are many lead, world leaders and pastors, and, and it's a, a time of prayer, and it's a time of um, uh, reflection and great teaching, and, and uh, we learn a little bit more about what Alpha has been doing in the world. Alpha is a ministry, as you know. We held one many years ago here at the River Church. It's simply an, it's a Bible study for adults to learn about Christ. You invite people that don't typically go to church. You invite friends, maybe family members, neighbors, And you invite them to a dialogue that lasts 12 weeks. And they enter into a discussion over these 12 weeks about faith. And every question's okay. And nobody's trying to correct anybody. We're just 
talking about faith and dialoguing. It's an open discussion. And then there's a small video that introduces the Christian faith. And there's a dialogue that pursues. And a lot of people come to Christ. And people are coming to Christ through this because it's an open dialogue. And they learn about Christ and then they give their lives to Christ. And one particular man gave his story at this conference about how the fact that he, when he came to Christ through Alpha, the Holy Spirit entered his life. I heard that over and over and over again. And he said, I had been estranged from my father for 20 years. And I felt like God was telling me to pick up the phone and restore the relationship. And he did. And you know what his father said? I'm glad you called, son. I was hoping you would. He restored his relationship with his father that he had lost for 20 years. You know, that's a picture in my mind of prayer. Prayer is a relationship primarily. That's what it is. It's a relationship with God. I mean, it's like picking up the phone and calling God and having a conversation. That's what prayer is. It's so simple. And yet for some of us, we've gotten away from it. And we haven't picked up the phone and maybe we have become estranged in one way or another from God. And I believe what Jesus is saying, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. It's time to pick up the phone. It's time to call God. It's time to be in a relationship with God through prayer. And so what I want to look at is just briefly, what is prayer? And then maybe some things that we need to be praying about. And then let's, let's pray together. I mean, we've, we've been praying over the last several weeks, and we've had these boxes out. We've had these um, baskets or these metal baskets or boxes or whatever we want to call them, and we've been putting our prayers in. And I've been reading them, by the way, and I've, I'm, I've got to tell you that I am just inspired by your prayers. I, I read through each and every one of them at the beach, and I've read through all of the ones at the Norse, and I actually took several of them, and I put them here and posted them on top of the envelope that's filled with your prayers. You're praying for your family. You're praying for your own life. You're praying for the next step in your life. You're praying for restored relationships. You're praying for the church. You're praying that God will continue to bless the River Church. And you're also praying for new opportunities for us to reach into our community. And, and I am... I was moved. I, I spent Saturday reading through these, and I was just blown away. I, I, I was a wreck just reading these, recognizing the fact that you have been praying. And we want to continue to pray through these and pray that God hears us, pray that God begins to answer these prayers. But what is prayer? Well, I think primarily prayer is a means to experience God's love. It's communion with him. It's, a, it's an opportunity to build a relationship with him. That's what prayer is. But it's also an opportunity for us to hear from God and to hear his will. And so it's really both. It's the relationship to commune, to experience, and experience his love to be poured into by God. But it's also an opportunity to hear from God. What is God asking us to do? What is he talking to us about? How is he addressing us in our lives? It's both of those things. But you know, everything I've learned about prayer has come through Jesus. And I've learned three things through the life of Jesus about prayer and what prayer is. And I wrote these three things down. I said, first of all, I've learned that we must be ready. Jesus was ready. The second thing is we must be hungry, desperate for prayer. Jesus was desperate. 
And the third thing I wrote down is we must be expectant. I find Jesus expecting the Father to answer. You know, to be ready, Luke chapter 6, verse 12, Jesus separates from his disciples. And he's about, his followers, excuse me, and he was about to choose his disciples. But before he made a major decision in his life, it says in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, that he spent the whole night in prayer. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been all night in prayer? When I was at the beach, I turned around and I pointed to a lifeguard stand and I said, that's the one 30, over 34 years ago, I sat in that lifeguard stand all night with a flashlight, a Bible, some coffee, and a warm jacket. And I sat there and I just prayed all night. And I just sat, silence, all night long, praying for a big decision that I needed to make the next morning. And, and I didn't hear anything, it, I, not a word. I didn't sense what I should do, but when I got up and I left and I went home and I made the phone call that I needed to make in order to make the decision about my next step in my career, it was so clear that God had spoken to me. It was, it was one of those moments where I just was, I was affirmed. So here's what I learned. You've got to get yourself ready. You don't just jump into prayer and think, oh man, I'm hearing from God and things are happening. You need to settle in. I read a great book. Ron Boyd McMillan is a friend of mine. He wrote a book called The Heart is a Noisy Room. And in this particular book, he talks about the voices that we hear, all different kinds of voices, voices of fear, voices of inadequacy, all of them. And God wants his voice to be heard in our hearts, but we have to learn how to silence the voices or calm the voices. So something that he did many years ago, he went away to India on a Christian ashram in India. It was a week-long learning how to pray. For six days, they sat in a posture and learned to control their breath. That's all they did. Well, he got frustrated with this, and he asked the leader, said, when are we going to start praying? And, and here's what he said to Ron. He said, but we are incapable of holding it that is, prayer, until we can still our bodies. Because only then will we hear the whisper of God. You know, it reminds me of 1 Kings 19, verse 12, when Elijah was really kind of, he was, he was laid out. I mean, he didn't, know, he didn't know what to do. I mean, he had already slayed the, 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 the prophets of Baal and Mount Carmel, and now here he is in depression, and he's running from from Queen Jezebel and his life is, he doesn't know what's going to happen next and someone wants his life and he's in fear, he feels anxiety, he feels depression and God begins to speak to him but speaks in stillness. It says in a whisper. The idea of a whisper is stillness. That's what whisper is, a stillness. Do you realize that God speaks to us in stillness? Stillness, where you're just quiet. And Jesus learned that all night to be quiet with the Lord, to be ready. The second thing I learned about Jesus in his prayer life is that he was hungry. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 36, Jesus cries out in the Garden of Gethsemane, Oh, Father, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. I love the honesty of Jesus. I love the frankness. I love the fact that he was not only hungry and desperate, he was raw. He was out there. He was really out there. 
And I think we need to be willing to get to a place where we are so hungry and desperate, we are raw to be able to have a conversation with God about what it is that we're facing and use language that reflects our heart rather than some kind of a sanitized prayer. I mean, let it go. Flannery O'Connor is a... Is a um, she was an American novelist and wrote many essays, remarkable essays, in the 40s. And in one of her journals, she wrote this about her relationship with God in prayer. She said, God, I cannot love thee the way I want to. You are the slim crescent of a moon that I see, and myself is the earth's shadow that keeps me from seeing all of the moon. She says, I do not know you, God, because I am in the way. And she got to a point in her life of desperation. She realized she was in the way of communicating with God. She was finally ready, but she was also very hungry and desperate. And she cried out. Have you ever been to that place in your life? I mean, the last five months of my life could be described as desperate. I mean, my prayer life has been desperate. And I'll tell you why. God often uses pain in your life to be the voice in your life. Whatever pain you are dealing with, whatever struggle you are dealing with, whatever issue you are dealing with, God has put that in your life to be the very voice that cries out to you. And I have learned that. And Jesus learned that, that he did not want to go to the cross and the pain that he was experiencing became the voice that affirmed him to go to the cross to do what God was calling him to. Lean into your pain identify whatever it is that you might be feeling right now, whether it's an anxiety or a fear or a concern or a problem. God wants you to pour that out to him. Job poured out his heart before God. We need to pour our hearts out to God. The third thing I learned is we need to be expectant. I mean, Jesus says in, in Mark chapter 11, 24, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you will receive it and you will. There's an expectation that God will... Read Ephesians chapter 1, where Paul says, I pray that your eyes of your heart would be open to see the glory of God and his power and his might. Paul did not pray to get them out of their circumstances, but for them to open their eyes to believe that God had given them something powerful. The power of his word, the power of his presence to overcome whatever they were going through, to press through. That's what God wants from us. And I learned that through Jesus. So Jesus, coming back to this passage, says, ask. It's time, to, it's time to pray. So the question is, what do we pray about? Well, here's a simple little kind of formula that I came up with out of John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. The five chapters that we're dealing with in this series identify five areas that you can pray for right now. Things that you can do. The first one is John chapter 13. If you recall, John 13 is all about foot washing. It's about servanthood. It's about you praying about stepping down. Not stepping up, but stepping down. It's about giving up your authority. Jesus gave up his authority to wash the disciples' feet. It's about servanthood. You could be praying about that. Ways in which God would want you to step down. How would you want me to step down with a neighbor or a friend? Or today in a work, or tomorrow in a workplace. 
God, are there ways in which I can step down? I know of a couple ways in my life right now. And I can identify them. And I want to pray about stepping down. The second thing is in John chapter 14, if you recall, John chapter 14, Jesus says, I go away, but I bring the helper. The Holy Spirit is coming. And so the second thing that we can be praying about in John 14 is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Asking God to bring the Holy Spirit into our lives. And I, I, I entitle that one, Soak It In. Are we praying about soaking in the Spirit? We were at this conference, and I remember standing there, and we had these prayer times, the worship and then prayer. And I had my hands up, and I was praying for the Holy Spirit. I was praying that the Holy Spirit would just invade my life and give me a new vision, that he would empower me. I wanted to sense the Spirit of God in me, and I was desperate for it. Well, that night, well, several nights later, I had a dream. And the dream was that our church was in a prayer meeting, and we were praying for the power of the Spirit to come upon us. And I was out doing some administrative work, and I missed the whole service. And all of a sudden, Bill walks out, and I'm telling you, he's glowing. I, I said in the early service, he's filled with spirit, but I'm not sure he was, because I don't know that, but only he would know that. But I'm telling you what, he was a different person. And he came out of that prayer meeting, and I looked right at him, and he was just glowing. And he was, he was entered, it was just like a, a different person. And all of a sudden, people started coming out. They were, I, I sensed they were filled with the Spirit. And I rushed in going, no, it can't be over. I missed it. I missed it. I rushed forward. This is a dream. And, the, and Brad and the team were up here worshiping, and they were closing up. And there was a group up here in the front. And I walked up and I said, please pray for me. Pray. I want the Spirit of God. I, I was desperate for it. And we began praying. And all of a sudden, there were like, in my dream, there were flashes of light, beautiful flashes of light. And I don't know exactly what all that meant, means, but I know one thing. I desperately want the Holy Spirit in my life. That's why Jesus promised it. We cannot move forward without the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have to have it. We need it. The Holy Spirit wants to invade our lives. Are we praying about that? Do we believe that? John chapter 15, the third area, is abiding in Christ. It's about sitting tight, remaining being still, learning what it means to abide in Christ. And I think one of the things that I've learned about abiding is it's moving. That part of abiding is not only to remain, to, but to be moved by. When God invades your life, when you abide in him, he abides in you. He moves you. There's a movement. You sense it. And he calls you to something but you sense the Spirit of God moving you. That's what comes out of abiding. So I'm learning how to set tight and just settle in. The fourth thing is in John chapter 16, our section here. But earlier, Jesus says that I've spoken to you that you may be kept from stumbling. stumbling. They, they will make you outcast. Someone's going to make you an outcast of the synagogue. There's opposition coming your way in fact at the very end in john 16 verse 33 says that you will have tribulation he talks about in the middle weeping and lamenting and grief and all of that there is opposition and there's opposition against our lives there is one person that does not want us to pray and it's the evil one because he knows a powerful church is a church that prays 
And we are praying for God to move in us. The evil one doesn't want that. There is strong opposition. And guess where he goes after? He goes after your weakest place, the weakest point in your life. That's what he wants to do. I came home from this, this time away and refreshed and restored. It was powerful and I'm excited. And all of a sudden, I felt pain all over again in my stomach, in my side. You know, I had surgery back in January and I've been dealing with kind of the side effects and, and um, uh, I felt great. Two days before I left, I felt like the pain had resided. And uh, went and got checked out by the doctor and he says, yep, you're good, Let's, you, you need to go on this trip. And we went and it was great. And I came back and all of a sudden, I went right back to where I was before. And the last two days have been a time in which I have been dealing with not only emotional but physical pain. And then this morning, Denise laid her hands on me and prayed for me, my wife, and said, I think I know what's going on. I think what's happening is the evil one knows your weakness. He knows where you're scared. He knows where your anxiety is. He knows your fears. And he's going after it. And he's going to dig into your life. And we need to pray against that. We need to stand against that. John Eldritch wrote a remarkable little book called Moving Mountains. And in that book, he says not only God calls us to move, to step up to prayer, like it's time to step up. It's time to grow up. It's time to step into prayer, like bold prayer. But also recognize that you're in a battle. That you're in a war. You're in a, you're in opposite, you have opposition. And it's time to pray, knowing, standing firm, that what you are dealing with Satan wants you just to give in to that fear, give in to that anxiety, and push away and say it's not worth it. And God wants you to say, I, God wants to say in your life, I want to use that to mold you and push you and, and lead you into a greater fulfillment of all that you can be. The fifth area, and, and that one, by the way, I gave that an S as well. So here we are. So the first one, is stepping down. The second one is soaking in. The third is sitting tight. And the fourth is standing firm. And the fifth is spreading out. In John chapter 17, next week, we're going to look at Jesus' prayer with the Father. And he prays for his disciples, not that they would be taken out of the world, but they would be left in the world to go, to be sent out. Jesus prays, don't take them out of the world, leave them in the world, because that's where they need to be. So send them out. And I think that's spreading out. You know what happened to me this week? I ran into one of several of my neighbors, men. This was the first time, I, I would say one of the, probably the most enriching times I've had in a neighborhood where I've been able to build relationships with the men in my neighborhood. Knowing, knowing, knowing them by name, conversation, what, running into them. I wonder if God is saying something to me in that. The idea of spreading out is to move out, to go out, whether it's your neighborhood or your work. Pray about where God wants you to go to build relationships, to be able to begin to talk about Jesus. And I'm discovering that's what's happened in my life. So what I want to do this morning is I want to end with prayer. I want us to gather together and pray. And so I've asked Brooke, my daughter, to come and to lead us in a time of prayer as we close this morning.
repeat um, those last five things that my dad mentioned because I want you, if you have, do you have something to write with or a phone that you can jot a note down? I want us to start, and as I lead us into prayer, um, identify that category that, um, that he just shared, the five, one of the five categories that he just shared that you want to pray over in your own life. Um, and write it down. Just make a quick note. The first was stepping down humility from John 13, servanthood. The second was sitting tight, or sorry, soaking it in, praying about the Holy Spirit, descending upon you, filling you from John chapter 14. The third is sitting tight from John 15, abiding in Christ. And we've heard a lot more context as we've gone through John together the last couple of weeks. Um, The fourth is standing firm, having courage and confidence in the authority of God from John chapter 16. And then the final one is spreading out from John chapter 17, making disciples and fulfilling the Great Commission. And so I want you to think about that. Take that, that bucket, that big category. And one of the things that has been absolutely revolutionary in my personal prayer life in the last five years is... I'm going to leave you with one word. I hope you remember specificity. As I have begun to understand the importance of praying very specific prayers to the Lord, I've been able to see him answer. And it's amazing. It's remarkable because he's already working. He's already doing amazing things. But when we identify specific prayers that are so tangible that when he answers, we know it's him because we've asked him for it. It's, it's, really um, a special moment that you have with the Lord to bring him the glory. So you could in this moment just stop and say, okay, I want to pray for standing firm. I want to pray for courage in my life. And you could leave it at that and just pray, Lord, would you give me courage? Would you give me courage to stand firm? And that's great. And the Lord hears that prayer. But if you pray with specificity, maybe what you'll stop, and I want to give us five minutes actually to, to dig into that. What in your life specifically do, what situation do you want to pray for courage in? If you're thinking, I'm going to give you an example. Um, I have a lot of anxiety and I'm having trouble sleeping at night. I cannot get a restful night of sleep because there are these trials. And when he mentioned in John 16, you will have trials and tribulations. I am doubtful. I'm scared because I don't believe that the Lord is walking with me in them. And it gives me anxiety and I can't go to sleep. So maybe you identify, okay, I need courage. I would like courage in this specific area of my life. Lord, would you put people in my life to encourage me? Bring them alongside me to remind me of your promise to be faithful and walk with me through my trial. Will you use the word of God to bring me peace? and comfort. And would you give me a restful night of sleep so that I can wake up and be excited and encouraged to pray for this again? Do you see the difference between praying for courage and then asking the Lord for those specific tangible things? Then when the Lord brings you those people or you find peace in those verses, that scripture from your daily devotional or whatever it is, or you wake up and you've had a restful night of sleep, What's the first thing you want to do? 
stop and get on your knees and thank the Lord because it was from him and you know it was from him. It's different. So I want us to stop. Take a few minutes. Write that first thing that you think of. And then if you get stuck, ask why. Why do I want to pray for that? What specifically in my life do I want to ask the Lord to do that's tangible, that I could see it so when he answers, because we want to be expectant for him to answer, so that when he answers, we know it's him, and we can stop and thank him, bring him the glory, and then it propels us into a cycle. We want to ask for more. I want to see you do it again. I want you to do it bigger. So let's stop and take five minutes and think through that now.